as you know, we're in the middle of this. We're not at the middle. We're at the end. We're done with the giving thing. So I promise, no like heavy talk about money or anything like that. You know, our hope is that, that there's freedom, we believe, in giving. That it's a blessing. That it's something that not only of our money, but also of our time and our resources and an effort to grow God's kingdom. That it's not something that should have guilt or shame or should feel like a burden. It should feel like, wait, I want freedom in this area of my life. Having said that, a few weeks ago after I spoke on volunteering, I went outside and I was kind of yelling across the deal to this guy that I wanted to have lunch with. I was like, hey, I want to get together with you, you know? And his response just was awful cringe to me. He's like, the only time you, you know, he's kind of laughing, the only time you want to get together is whatever you need. And I was like, oh, no. I like interrupted before he could say money, you know? I was like, that's the last, the very last thing that we would ever want to communicate at River City Church. And we hopefully haven't communicated that. You know, hopefully we've communicated that, uh, yeah, we have financial needs like every church, you know, but we don't own any buildings and we are working hard to use what God blesses us with for, you know, the furthering of his kingdom. Um, And it's exciting to be a part of that. But we do have a responsibility and an obedience with our gifts and our money to give towards his kingdom. And when we do, we're blessed. And when we don't, it affects what God does and how God does it in our own life and in the lives of others. And, and having said that, I know that it's still, there's a part of us that wonders, well, what do I offer? Just like Mac. Mac said it so well. I don't have value. What could I possibly do? I can't even hammer a nail into a piece of wood, you know? That is pretty pathetic. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, how hard? I think Chase, Cole, and Blake can do that. But uh, probably Grace. But, I mean... You have that other gift now, and that's good. We're going to center, focus on that one, Mac. But, um, you know, but we wonder. And this morning, when we, in the pre-service prayer, we were praying about the service. And I just had this picture of, a, of, a, of someone, like, harnessed to a parachute, and they were kind of drifting down. And I was like, well, that's, what's that all about, you know? And, uh, I mean, it was just that simple. And as I began to pray and think about, well, what could that be about? I just felt like the Lord said, just really gave me a great um, illustration uh, when it comes to our gifts. You see, I think that whenever we're, um, you know, whenever we're non-believers, it's like we're in the airplane. Things are safe. Things are familiar. Things are comfortable. But it's really not fun, unless you've never been in an airplane. But really, it gets boring. I mean, I've flown 14 hours to China and to Russia and all these places. And it's not fun. It's just not. And um, it's kind of boring and static up there. And, uh, and, and that's what it's like when we're a non-believer. We think that that's what life is like. We think that that's where life is. But then when we become a believer, basically what happens, it's, it's like us jumping out of the airplane. And all of a sudden, we're like, woohoo! this is amazing. This is, this is awesome. And there's a season that we go through where we're kind of in this free fall. And in this free fall, we, uh, you know, we start to realize that, wow, this is what life is supposed to be, you know. But then we transition from that season, and that season's good because we're excited, we're euphoric, we're all warm, fuzzy with Jesus. It's great. But then we move into this next phase where it's kind of like you start receiving the burdens and the guilt and the to-dos of Christianity, don't we? And we're like, free-falling through it. And so we don't know what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. There's opportunities to give to this. Well, I'll go on missions here. I'll give what are there. I'll be involved in the fuel. I'll be involved in the church. I'll go do this. Maybe I'll do that. Well, oh, then I have to do Bible study and I have to listen to the sermons. And if I miss them, I have to go back and listen to them. I need to volunteer. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need this. And we're just like free-falling. There's all this opportunity as a Christian in the Christian life that feels like it's just flying by us. It's creating this chaos in our life. 
When we choose to use the gifts that God has given us, it's like we pull the parachute strap, and it comes out, and it slows everything down. And Jesus says, see, you're still coming towards me. You're still on the journey I've created you for, but you're doing the thing or the things that I've called you to do. The tasks I've shaped you for, you can see now. And everything that's, everything's still coming your way, but when you use your gifts, one of the things that happens is it allows you to figure out what specifically God has for you in the kingdom of God. As opposed to wondering, well, should I be doing what Antley's doing up front? Should I be a teacher? Should I be doing this, that, and the other? And Jesus says, no, slow down. And the only way we slow down, the only way we can know what God wants for us to do is by using our gifts. And, and if for no other reason, that is a great reason to choose to be faithful with what God has given you, regardless of what you think your gift is, or regardless of whether you like your gift. It's to trust God that, that he has shaped you in a certain way. He's given you certain gifts because of the tasks and the things he has given you to do. Now, you might be saying, well, that's easy for you to say, you know, you got that gift of being up front and you're funny, attractive, and good looking, you know, and you, you know, yeah, it's real easy. Well, actually, I am thinking that, but no, I'm not. But, um, you know, it's easy if you have an upfront gift like I do to say these things, but, but, but everyone's gift is really valuable. One of the things, one of the gifts I've learned recently that I have is the gift of helps. I love to do things behind the scene. I love it. I love it because there's no pressure, there's no stress. You just do. I love that gift. I didn't realize I really, that, that was really a gift I hadn't even considered it because I'm so public in my gifts. And just until today in worship, and I was just praying, Lord, pour out your gifts to me. I want to know. I want to be led by your spirit. But anyway, but it's hard to believe that you're valuable. Like Max said, you know, it's, it's hard to really understand that you bring something to the table when your gifts are behind the scenes or you have gifts or you see gifts that other people have. And I was thinking, you know, uh, if, if you're, this is really to all the guys. And uh, I thought about applying it to women, but it just doesn't because they don't think the way we do. And maybe you guys don't think the way I do, but I think this way a little bit. And uh, I'm going to tell you about it. You know, you, you know, if you've ever been, guys, with your wife or your spouse, and maybe someone that you knew from afar, uh, you spend, your, you know, you set up a dinner, spend some quality time with them, you want to get to know them. And, and you realize as you're coming together to meet them, that all of a sudden you realize that you're like the low man on the totem pole. And you're like, oh my goodness, like I am the klutz of this foursome. I'm the weak link here. This is not good. And then, and then, and, and then I begin to think, you know, in that situation like, oh my word, Lord, thank you that Laura met me before she met him because she probably would have married him because of who he is, how awesome he is. You know, he's good-looking, study, he has all the qualities that, that I wish I had, and, and, and wow. And then that transitions from feeling kind of like, you know, thankful to God to like sad for Laura, your wife. You're like, oh, she's stuck with me. There's nothing she can do. I'm gaining weight, losing hair. Sorry, honey. <laughs> this is as good as it's going to get, you know, and... Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and guys, I know you can relate to that because most of us have married up. And you meet these people. We, you, you go out, you meet these people, and you're like, Lord, thank you. I know she would be with him if she would have met him first. And uh, I think that a lot of us feel the same way 
when it comes, when we think about other Christians, we think um, like somehow we're outclassed spiritually because of their gifts, that, uh, that Jesus is kind of stuck with us. He's kind of stuck with us. And so he kind of gives us these behind-the-scene gifts because he's given all his like spiritual studs, the people he really likes that are really valuable to him, he gives them the good gifts. You know, and, and we think that way, and it's totally incorrect. But what it does is it paralyzes us, just like Mac talked about. It makes us feel like we don't have value, like what we, don't, what we have isn't of value to Jesus. And so the consequence of that, instead of using our gift, we kind of mope around, complaining and pouting that we don't have the gifts of other people. So we're like, oh, man, I'm never going to. I'm not going to pray for healing. I'm never going to heal like Bill Johnson, you know. I'm never going to prophesy. I'm not going to prophesy like, you know, like Barry Kiss. So I'm not going to ever be a good teacher like Andy Stanley. So I'm just not going to teach. I'm never going to smile like Joel Osteen. So I'm just not going to smile. You know, I'm never going to be able to love the poor like Mother Teresa. So what's the point? You know, I'm never going to be able to be a preacher or an evangelist like Billy Graham. So I'm not going to evangelize. I'm never going to be as good as him. You know, or or maybe, you know, I'm never going to part the Red Sea or the ocean like Moses did. Maybe you haven't thought about that one, but I have. You know, how cool would that be? You never know. But um, but what happens is we, um, we, we end up going to all of these conferences or reading about, we read all of these books that these people have written that are spiritually placed on a pedestal uh, with, with the desire to be like them, to pray like them, to teach like them, to talk like them, to dream like them, to interpret like them, to serve like them, to minister like them. And, we do, and so we go, we listen to sermons, we read their books, we go to their conferences, and they're all in an effort to be like them, don't we? We do. And I'm not going to say that that is bad going through those things. But those people are only as valuable as they enable you to discover how God has shaped you. What are the gifts that God has given you and how are you called to be responsible with those gifts? Because you can either try and be like some other person and minister like they minister or you can choose to be like Jesus and be faithful to what he's given you and minister the way he has shaped you to live out the kingdom of God. When you're trying to be like other people, you cannot be trying to be like Jesus. It's either or. A good mentor or a good leader does not develop you to be more like him or her. He develops you to be more like Jesus. And the best way to be more like Jesus is by coming to him with what he has given you and allowing him to use you in the unique way he has made you to be used. So the best way to be like Jesus is by coming to him like he did the Father and saying, this is how you shaped me. This is how you made me. These are the gifts you've given me. Now show me what you want to do through me. That's how we become like Jesus. That's, that's it. It's very simple. And then when we respond to him, it's out of who he's made us as opposed to how he's made other people. He does not want you to be like anybody else. He does not want you to talk like other people. He does not want you to administrate like anybody else. 
He does not want you to serve like anybody else, to teach like anyone else, to preach like anyone else. He doesn't want you to pray like anybody else prays. He doesn't want you to minister to people the way that he wants to minister to people through you. He doesn't desire for you to serve the poor the way that Mother Teresa did. He desires for you to serve him. He doesn't give you the doesn't want you to help people the way other people help people, to prophesy or to heal the way anybody else heals. And he doesn't want you to kiss like anybody else kisses. Come on. You're thinking like, that's a spiritual gift. I got it. I want it. I'm going to have it. Sweet. That's awesome. No, that's not a spiritual gift. Come on, people. I just threw it in there. You're probably wondering like, I'm set up. For something inappropriate right now. I'm not going to say anything inappropriate. I promise. But could you imagine. Could you imagine this. I thought of this. I, just, I was dying laughing. Just even thinking about it last night. But could you imagine. If you were kissing your spouse. Or your boyfriend. Uh, or significant other. And they stopped kind of mid kiss. And they said. You are an amazing kisser. I love the way you do that. Like kiss thing that you do. That is amazing. It's just like the way Brad Pitt kissed me. Or like, you know, Katherine Heigl, which is that chick from, you know, that Grey's Anatomy. I figured out she was the number one hottest pretty girl, according to askvin.com. Showed up all over my covenant eyes, probably. It's going to be horrible. But anyway, <laughs> could you imagine if you're like kissing your wife who loves you and she stops midstream and goes, you are the best kisser. And, she, and then it goes on to say, you kiss, you do the same thing that Brad Pitt does when you kiss me, Antley. All bets are off, man. What are you talking about? I don't care if she dated Brad Pitt. That novelty's worn off. You know? That would be devastating. That would, be, that would just be like, that's it, I'm packing in. None for you tonight, baby. I'm going to bed. You know what I mean? That would just shut things down. You'd be so angry. That would be horrible. But that's what we do with Jesus and our gifts. We think it is good that we kiss like other people, that we gift Jesus like other people. Someone else who's famous, someone else who's more powerful, more anointed, more bigger ministry. We think that Jesus wants to gift him the same way that they gift him when he doesn't. He absolutely doesn't. And that's what paralyzes you from using your gifts. As you believe the lie that Jesus wants you to gift him the same way that other people gift him. When he says to you today, this morning, and in his word, I've made you to gift me special, unique, unlike anybody else. Would you please gift me? Would you please gift me in a way that only you can gift me, because when you do, it brings me joy. It reveals your passion for me and my kingdom. It communicates the uniqueness that my Father made you in so that I could experience something that only you can bring. Would you please stop trying to gift me like those other people? Because I want to be gifted the way I've made you to gift me. That's what he wants. He wants what he's given you uniquely to be given back to him so that he can multiply it and bring power and growth to his kingdom. 
He knows that we struggle with this, though, with this gifting idea, especially those of us like Mac who feel like we don't have anything to offer, or even if it's a public gift, that we're not good at it like other people that we see. And so he tells this story in Matthew, and it's a story of, and it's a little long, so I'm going to run through it quickly. It's a story of the talents and a master who's leaving and trusts his kingdom and the continuation of his kingdom and building his wealth to his followers, his people. So this is what it says in Matthew 25, starting with verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted them, entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You who have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. You know it's just starting to head south when you hear that. Like he's getting the whole, like, God thing wrong. That God is hard. And then he goes on to say, reaping where you did not sow. Gathering where you have not scattered. Where you have scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Wrong relationship with God. Misunderstanding of master. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him. You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what what he has will be taken away. And so the story is of a master who wants his servants to use what he's given them to to grow his kingdom, basically. The master gave the first servant five talents, talents, which is about $1.5 million. That's the value of five talents in today's economy. The second guy received two talents, which is approximately $600,000. And the third steward got one talent, or $300,000. And even though there's a big difference between the five talents and the one talent, the guy who received one talent still received a considerable amount of money, a lot of money, which reminds us, That every gift 
that God has given. Everything, as small as it is, whatever he has given you is, 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 is valuable, is extremely valuable, and has worth, and requires us to be responsible with it. I want you to notice that each servant receives talents according to his ability. So to each of the servants, they have a certain ability. They're wired a certain way. They're capable of certain things. God shaped them that way. And according to that ability, he then gives them gifts to steward and to, to be kind of watch over and to use. Your responsibility is tied, your responsibility and how you use those gifts is tied to your ability. And God knows that. And that only, he protects us. Only, you know, the way he shaped this person with ability is different than the ability of this person. And he knows how to give and who to give and what to give the different individuals based on what is best, not what is fair. The kingdom of God, we notice in this story, is not fair. He gives five to one and five to one servant and one to another. That's not fair. That is not the economy that communicates fairness. I tell my kids, and you've heard me say it here, you know, the fair is something that comes around once a year. You buy tickets for and you ride on rides. But it's not life, and it's not the kingdom of God. So quit operating in that mode, believing that somehow God owes you more or that what he has given you isn't enough. The kingdom of God is not fair. If the kingdom of God was fair, we'd all be dead. We'd all be dead. The promise of Genesis after the fall was that we would die, that we would, every man would die because of the result of the death that occurred between Adam and God. Not die just spiritually like people would like to believe, but physically. There would be no life if we got what we deserved. Paul talks about it in Romans. If you don't believe me, you can read it. But that's what we deserve. So thank the Lord he's not fair. It's a good thing that he's not fair. Isn't it a good thing that he knows how he's made you? Isn't it a good thing that he knows how he's shaped you? The gifts, talents, and abilities and the resources he's given you are for you. Along with then he couples his gifts. And he says, be responsible. And as you are responsible with the little, I will give you more. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5, we see this principle, this idea that there are specific tasks for us based on our gifts and our responsibility. Paul, after challenging believers to be united by not breaking into subgroups who follow different leaders, he says this, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Each of us has been assigned a task. It is our job to be faithful to what he has given us to do. The master's gone, folks, and he's left us work to do as a church and an individual, as a, you know, and individually. And based on how he has shaped us, he has given each of us a unique and special thing to do. And as we do these things that he has given us to do, the way that only we can do them, things naturally begin to grow. They just happen. The kingdom just moves forward. It's just, it's the natural progression. And we see this as these stewards of the master's money went out and did what they were supposed to do. The first two, it grew. It just grew. We grow 
when we do this. The church grows. His kingdom grows. Those around us grow. And what we will receive in heaven also grows as we are faithful stewards of what he's blessed us with. You have what you have because God gave it to you. And he expects you to manage his gifts within the boundaries of the ability that he has wired within you. And again, 1 Corinthians 12, and Samantha talked about, you know, again, in the Gift ID course, this comes out that there are different kinds of gifts, different kinds of gifts, service, and workings. And the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes these responsibilities to each one just as he determines. So can you go work up anointing? Can you go work up faith? Can you go work up power? Can you go work up gifting? Or is it something that the Holy Spirit gives based on how you are wired, when you can handle it for the purpose of forwarding his kingdom? Is it better that we're capable of going and making these things happen? Or is it better that God knows what we are able to do, when we're able to do it, how he wants it to be done? It's better that God does those things. It's a good thing. Scripture tells us, to each I've given a portion of faith. To each I've given the gifts that I want them to have and the power to use those gifts. I give the Holy Spirit when you ask, when I decide and how I decide. You can't manufacture that. You can't go make that happen. You can't go and get that somewhere. It's a gift. It's a gift. And the way that we get more is be, by being faithful with what he's given us. By being true to the way he shaped us and responsible with the talents and the gifts that he's made us within us. God entrusts different stuff to different people according to his sovereign purposes. In other words, he knows what we can handle, and our job is to be faithful with whatever amount we have to work with. So the question is, do you trust God? Do we trust God that God knows more about us and what he wants to do with us than we ourselves know? And do we value the gifts that God has entrusted to us? And are we being responsible and faithful to develop them? Or are we neglecting those gifts and pursuing the gifts that other people have told us we should pursue? Or things that the church elevates? Or that other people who are famous and super spiritual want us to pursue? Or are we being faithful to what God has called us to, even if it's never seen? This is the letter that someone wrote to Samantha about their journey and understanding their gifts that weren't public and feeling and struggling with them. And I want to read the, the letter. It says this. Samantha. Samantha just talked about the gift ID course. And this is a letter of Samantha thanking her. Thank you so much for teaching the gift ID course. I'm so thankful and happy that I did it. My main gifts are helps, administration, and service. Last night was the first time, I think, I've ever thanked God for my gifts. As a pastor's wife, I, I have felt guilty for not teaching, for not being prophetic, for not getting many words of knowledge, not being gifted in hospitality, and the list goes on. But last night, I got a glimpse of God's plan and was able to praise him for it. I am a needed part of the body. My gifts aren't glamorous, but I see how needed they are and how amazing it is that he put me with Antley. It is so God that I am married to Antley and that I have the gifts 
that I have been given. God is amazing. And now I don't have to feel guilty that I don't have certain gifts, even though I still want to pursue them. But I can work on using the gifts he has given me to further his kingdom. After the first week, Craig came up to me and asked me if I would mind going to Hollybrook and helping some moms figure out a budget for their family. I would love to do that. Lately, I've been so discouraged as I wondered how God can use me. I want him to use me. Learning about my gifts has encouraged me and excited me. He does want to use me. I do have something that can be, benef- be a benefit in his body. And it isn't something that I would dread to do. God's plan is so great. That was obviously my wife. You know, isn't it? You know, everyone thinks the pastor's wife should be, is doing, doesn't struggle with these issues. When it, obviously, we all, we, there's all of us struggle with this. We all think we should be someone else, or people have told us we should be someone else, and it cripples us, and it handicaps us, and takes us away from what God has called us to do. And we must invest, we must invest what we've been given. In verse 16, it tells us that the man who received five talents went, quote, at once and put his money to work and gained five more. He didn't say, he he didn't waste any time, but immediately went to work on his investment strategy and doubled his master's portfolio. The guy who got two talents did the same thing, only the text doesn't say he went to work at once, like the, guy, the first guy did. We do know, though, that he worked hard because he also doubled his master's money, ending up with four talents. Many of you just finished the gift ID, and you're excited, and you filled out the forms, you filled out the volunteer card. When do you think you should start using your gifts? When the church gets back with you? When the opportunity just kind of appears out of nowhere? What if the investors did that? They wouldn't have made double what they were supposed to. They knew it was their responsibility to use their gifts. You are responsible for using your gift. And the church is responsible to create opportunities for that. But ultimately, I'm not going to be in front of Jesus. He's not going to ask me how you use your gifts. I'm not accountable for how you use your gifts. You're accountable for how you use your gifts. And if the church isn't giving you the opportunity to use your gifts, then God will, either in another church or somewhere else. And obviously, we don't want you to leave. We're working hard. We're creating this big scheme and plan and program for you to be plugged in here. And you've heard me talk about having ministries led by volunteers. And we've just, we have this big men's meeting, you know, and it's, you know, we're having Men are just plugged in everywhere. There's all these Bible studies getting ready to start and all these, this stuff that's happening, all being led by non-staff people, people using their gifts, getting plugged in. Max, the hospitality cruise director now. But, but that's, that's what we want. That's what we need. But the burden is not all on the church. You can't use that as an excuse. Well, there's just nowhere to plug in. Antley, help me. I need help with my gift. No, we are helping you. We're telling you and equipping you through Samantha and teaching the gift ID course what your gifts are. Your response now is to go to Jesus and figure out how and where and what that looks like. That's how ministry in this church gets going. That's how people get plugged in. That's how God lets us know what he wants to do at River City Church. But again, we take some responsibility, and we're working towards that. In January, the whole plan is going to roll out. We put everything on the website. You should be able to go there. But it's amazing to see how people are already responding. 
with the party today, you know. I mean, again, like the whole career group or most of the career group are going over there to work and to, you know, it's just amazing how people are beginning to step out in this season that God's called us to. But the responsibility is yours to use your gift and to find a place to use your gift. We know this because that's how God's made us. And that's what this parable tells us. Antonio knew this. And Antonio had a very high and squeaky voice. And as a result, even though he wanted to make music, he never, never made the choir. And when he took violin lessons, the neighbors encouraged the parents to make him stop. And so he did. Yet Antonio knew that he still was made to make music. That was the burden that was placed on him. His friends gave him a hard time because his only talent was whittling. And when Antonio was older, he served as an apprentice to a violin maker. His knack for whittling grew into a skill of carving, and his hobby became his craft. He worked patiently and fearfully and faithfully. By the time he died, he left over 1,500 violins and cellos, each one bearing a label that read, Antonio Stradivarius. They are the most sought-after violins and cellos in the world, and some sell for over $2 million. Antonio couldn't sing or play or preach or teach, but he knew his responsibility was to be faithful to the ability that God gave him. And his violins to this day are still making the most beautiful music because of his faithfulness to develop and be responsible with the gift that God gave him. Whittling. Whittling. None of you have the gift of whittling. And look at what happened. When I was working on this, one of the things I was, when I was praying, I saw this picture. Because the question is, well, Antley, how, how does this all happen? You know, how, I mean, practically, okay, I can take the test. Practically, I can, you know, listen to the gift ID stuff. And, and I can fill out the volunteer card. But, but how do we approach Jesus? Is it with this confidence you know, is it with this boldness that we hear about that it seems that, you know, these professional spiritual people have? No, it's not. And God gave me this great picture last night when I was praying about this, of the boy. He reminded me and gave me this picture of the boy with the, the two fish and the five loaves, of what it looks like to use our gifts. And, um, you know, again, many people think that, you know, as a leader of the church, that I have this gift of teaching or whatever, of leading and uh, it's just kind of like I just come and do it. But that's not it. That's not how I come to Jesus. That's not how I come to Jesus. And the way I felt like what God said to me last night is only the way that this little boy came to Jesus is the way that you come and use your gifts. And it's the way we're called to use our gifts. And the scene of the setting communicates that kind of, or what way we've always understood or seen the pictures, is kind of like this little boy holding before Jesus the fish and the loaves, right? Kind of right before him. I don't think that's the way it was. We don't know, so I'm guessing here. But this is the picture that I had. I just want to give it, throw it out there. Um, is it, that, you know, he was in front. This little boy was in front of, you know, probably five to 10,000 people. This little boy was coming to approach an adult who was a prophet, 
who was a teacher, this little boy was coming with very little to meet a need that was very great. He was probably a little nervous in front of disciples that were probably rolling their eyes, looking at what he was bringing like, that's it? And so my suspicion is not that he brought it to Jesus in confidence, like, here you go, go for it, baby, here we go. I don't think that's the way it is. That's not the way I am with my gifts. The way I come to Jesus with my gifts is more like I think the little boy came to Jesus with what Jesus had given him already, and it was more like this. Here, Jesus, this is what I have. I don't think it's much, but I want to give it to you because I trust that you will be able to take what you've given me and make it more. I think that's the way the little boy might have come to Jesus is walked up and then humbly here. Do what you do, Jesus. And that's like us in our gifts. We come, whether we have public gifts or private gifts or whether we're really good at things or not so good at things, we come humbly to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you've made me this way. And here, take what you've given me and would you multiply it to feed other people. Use me for your sake. I trust, I don't need to know why, but I trust that these gifts are from you. Take them and use them the way you want to use them. You see, a lot of us pretend or act or think that Jesus kind of gives, gives us these gifts and then expects us to just kind of go and use them. You know, it, it would have been like Jesus saying, okay, great little boy, that's wonderful. Don't bring it to me. Turn around. You divide it. You take the fish and loaves and hand it out. You go distribute it everywhere. Go do that, little boy. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Jesus does all the work. The little boy, he just says, just bring me what I've given you. Trust me with the rest. And so Jesus takes what the boy's given him. He takes our gift. And he multiplies and grows and develops them into something that they would never be outside or within us on our own. And he takes them from us, and then he uses them to further his kingdom. And then, when we're faithful with our part, he then calls the disciples around the little boy. He gives the food to them to distribute. That's what their job was. The little boy's job was only to be obedient with what God had given him. Our job, just to be obedient with the gifts that God has given us, trusting that he'll do the work and that he'll call the church around us to complete what he began in and through us. Great picture, I think, of of how we're to be before Jesus and what it looks like to live out our gifts. And when we do, the results are miraculous. It's crazy to think. Do you think that little boy, when he brought what he had to Jesus, he thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. He's going to do this miracle. He's going to take these fish, and everyone's going to get There's going to be baskets. No, he didn't see or know or think that at all. But that's what happens when you use your gift of administration, of helps, of mercy, of behind-the-scenes, of middle-scenes stuff, of front-scene stuff, stuff that's on the stage for everyone to see. When we all come together, miracles happen. When we try to do it on our own, we're glorified, and we find people trying to be like us instead of being like Jesus. Can we change this community? Absolutely, if we all bring what God's given us. 
Can we be the church that God's called us to be and change more than Jacksonville? Absolutely, if we bring and are obedient to the gift that God's given us. And when we do, we will grow. And like the story, when we are faithful with the little bit that he's given our church, he'll give us more. And when we individually are faithful with the gifts that he has given us, he'll give us more. Let's stand.